This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, I'll be talking with Jim Rowings, VP at Kiwit for Technical Development and Chief Learning Officer. And Jim is going to talk about, he's basically going to share a ton of wisdom with us from a long and successful career. I mean, he has a PhD in civil engineering. And what he's going to focus a lot on in this conversation is how you build confidence to become a great civil engineering leader. To me, I've always known that as the key to success. Yes, you can learn the technical skills and the technical background. If you focus, you can even develop some of those people skills that we always talk about on the podcast. But Jim says in order to leverage those skills, you need to build your confidence. And in this episode, he's going to give you tips for doing just that. I'm excited to share this one with you because he has so much knowledge, and I really think it's going to help you grow as a leader. Before we go on here, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Tensar International. Here's a message from Tensar about their award-winning software, Tensar Plus, which is available to you at no cost. Check out Tensar Plus, the award-winning design software for construction professionals to design with geosynthetics and calculate their value on projects. Tensar Plus is simple to use with a powerful engineering system at its core. It leverages our decades of research and experience with soils all over the world, so you can count on your solutions working the first time, even in the most difficult conditions. Whether you're designing a crane pad or need to build a temporary road over muck, the cost time, and carbon savings can be calculated, making comparison with alternatives simple. Specs, reports, and product data can be generated for your design. And training resources, research, and our third-party expert reviews are all provided conveniently in the software if needed. Usable both online and offline, the app is available in browser and on all major mobile platforms. Whatever you're working on, Tensar Plus is your toolbox for success. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'd like to welcome my guest on to the show for today. Jim Rowings is a VP at Kiwit for Technical Development, and he's also the Chief Learning Officer. Jim, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Maybe we can start off, Jim, and you can share with our listeners a little bit of your journey from your background as a construction engineer to your current role as a VP at Kiwit. Well, it's a winding path. I started out, graduated uh, from school at Purdue back in the mid-70s, and I had an opportunity to go and work in Saudi Arabia for uh, major oil companies over there who were partners with the, the Saudi government. And I started that, I guess, a very unique construction experience early on. It was uh, opportunities to work on large-scale petrochemical projects. And one of those, the last one I worked on was News thing at the time was uh, LNG, and it was liquefied natural gas, and it was a large plant expansion in Saudi where they took the gas that they had been flaring off, just wasting it, 
and uh, turn it into a liquid and we're able to export it and then use it for uh, industrial purposes there. That gave me the opportunity really to learn firsthand large-scale project management, worked with some great folks there and uh, gave me a great opportunity. I knew that at some point I wanted to get a graduate degree. And so after about three years, I had an opportunity to go back to school. I went back to Purdue and got a master's. And that was my goal at the time when I went back. But then an opportunity to do some teaching and work on some research. And I found that really interesting and uh, challenging. And so I stayed on and I got a PhD at Purdue. I was really working in a new area. It was energy use in construction. So modeling energy as it's used in construction. It was at a time when we had an oil crisis in the world. And so it was meaningful in that way. I worked on that and got my PhD. And then I chose to take a career in teaching and research. Again, I got a great opportunity to go to the University of Kansas with a startup program in construction engineering and management there in both civil engineering and in architectural engineering. And I found that a great opportunity because I was able to work with architectural faculty as well as civil engineers there in developing a new program. Again, opportunities come along, and after four years, I got an opportunity to to move up to Iowa State to the, you know, notably the number one construction engineering program in the country and to head that up. So I did that actually for 15 years and really enjoyed that. Opportunities to teach, get involved in meaningful research, application research with departments of transportation, with the National Electrical Contractors Association, with various organizations, uh, public and private. And that really opened my eyes to some other challenges that might be out there. And along the way, as you do in academia, you get an opportunity to take a sabbatical. And I took a sabbatical a little different than others. I took one with a contractor in the state of Iowa there uh, who was very forward thinking. And um, I basically tried out the job of a learning officer with them for a year and worked in that field uh, in industry to help put together their training and development programs. And so then when I came back to Iowa State uh, after a year, I was prepared and I had opportunities come along. And and the one, the best one by far, this is a dream job was to go to work for Kiewit. I left academia in 2001 and I joined uh, Kiewit as vice president for organization development. And uh, in that role, got to work with uh, recruiting, developing talent within that company. They were in a big growth mode at that time. And that led to other opportunities with Kiwit. And then eventually, after working in a a business unit with Kiwit also, trying out some of the new concepts of talent development, I came back to the uh, headquarters office. And that's when I began work as a chief learning officer and really focused on developing Kiwit University. And so uh, I would say that's one of those signature things that I have in my career. A lot of civil engineers today go to undergraduate school and then maybe stay at school and get a master's degree and then maybe work their way out into industry eventually. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's one pathway. But what I like about Jim's path is I always am a big believer that if you get in the field early on in your career, you really learn what civil engineering is. You get to see things happening, which happened to me as a surveyor, ultimately, helped me as a design engineer. But I think secondly, Jim, what I really like about what you did is you got to see some aspects of civil engineering, in your case, construction related, 
and then kind of make a decision in terms of what type of master's degree, what discipline of civil engineering might be best for you. Because I think what happens in a lot of times today is, I know a lot of people I talk to, hey, I want to be a structural engineer, one type of civil engineer in college, because they just are in classes like advanced structural steel and different things, and they like the class, but they haven't experienced the industry and projects with that type of engineering. And then they might go and get a master's, and they haven't even really tried it in the real world yet. So would you say that getting that experience before selecting a master's degree was kind of helpful for you in picking the exact direction you wanted to go? Absolutely. And I, for everything you've just said, I think it gave me insight and confidence to do a lot of different things and to find out what I enjoyed the most. And the aspect that I enjoyed the most, actually, I realized this was building people while building projects. Unless I'd had that project experience, unless I'd been in a unique situation where I was challenged, and I can only tell you I was challenged beyond anything I could have imagined when I took the job. I'm a person who, over my life, I've developed the courage to deal with challenges, and I think that was an important part of that. It also helped me and gave me, informed me about the specific classes that I wanted to learn more about, where I wanted to go into more depth. The Purdue opportunity gave me a chance to actually pick and choose those things. So my master's degree was half taking courses in the Cranert School of Business, finance, accounting, all those MBA type things, and half going into a lot more depth in advanced asphalt, advanced structures, all of those areas, geotechnical all of the areas of civil, so I built my strength in understanding certain aspects of engineering. And the problems that I faced when I was overseas, and I had to figure these things out on my own, gave me insight into where did I need to learn more that the undergraduate degree really set me up for success to go and continue to learn. But the classroom, the labs, the great instructors that I had at Purdue when I came back to the graduate school, really answered a lot of questions. And I was very motivated to learn. Again, I understood why I wanted to learn more depth about certain things from being informed from the industrial experience. If you're a civil engineering professional out there, or if you work for a firm, you're charged with developing your civil engineering professionals, definitely considering when they go for that master's and what it's in, you can help and guide them with that. I think that'd be very beneficial one thing I want to go back to that you said, Jim, which to me is one of the most important things of career development is confidence. And I do believe that it's critical for anyone's success, especially a young engineer that's trying to kind of feel their way out in the industry. And so you were kind of thrust into construction, which to me, is, my wife is a geotechnical engineer. I know she worked on a lot of construction sites. I know it can be very challenging because you have all these laborers around you and the contractor wants to move quickly. And here you are as a young engineer, kind of maybe in the middle of the crosshairs of everybody. Talk a little bit about your first jobs kind of in the field, and you mentioned confidence. I'm sure there were some challenging times on those projects that you had to navigate, but just take us back to that experience of how you handled that and navigated some of those challenges as a new engineer out of school. Like, How did you build that confidence up? I realized that I made decisions because I had to make the decisions. I was given that role, and while... I probably wasn't qualified for all of the decisions I had to make. I knew I needed to learn and use every resource around me in terms of 
also a lot of people that worked for me who knew a lot more than I did about things. And I was able to listen, ask questions, and then through that, triangulate to what I knew would be a good answer. Might not be the best answer, but it was a good answer. And it was going to protect the public good. It was going to meet the goals of the project and move things along. We didn't need to be perfect everywhere. We needed to make sure that we were moving the wall in a positive direction all the time. And so working with that kind of a mindset and learning to listen to other people was really the important piece that I learned in those first challenges. There were times when I had to listen to myself. There are a lot of ethical situations that I ran across out there. It's a different working world in the Middle East than it would be here in America. And I had some good mentorship back when I was in school that reminded me that I'd have, I'd face tough decisions. And, you know, I got into all those decisions. I had people offering me things that I needed to turn down. And you'll laugh at this, but probably the biggest lesson I learned was one time I took a bag of oranges, two kilos of oranges from a little contractor. And later I realized they had to dismiss the contractor from our project for lack of performance. And I realized the, the mental cycle that I went through because he had made me a friend with that bag of oranges. And you, you quickly learn to disseminate. It's easy to turn down televisions and cars and all that stuff. It's a little harder to recognize those small, nuanced things where you could potentially drift. And so become very attuned to that. I think that's something to share with young engineers coming out because they're going to face situations where they see and they feel something isn't right, but they're not sure and they need to act. And if they don't, it doesn't feel right, then you go against it and you make sure that you build your confidence through that decision and you learn from it. Sometimes you may have been overly cautious, but I'd rather be that way a little bit than to take a chance and and have anyone harmed or have a, a significant failure as well. The one thing about that that's important is exactly what Jim just described, those kind of situations with a contractor or things of that nature. You just can't learn them in a textbook. You just can't learn them in school. The only way to learn them is to be on a job site and interact with people. And that's why every civil engineering organization, whether you're in design, construction, whatever the case may be, you really have to make an effort to get your interns, young engineers onto job sites, take them on guided tours, get them out there, let them do some basic tasks because you have to put them in that atmosphere for them to be able to really build their confidence or else it's just going to become difficult for them. And it could really knock them down in their career development because one or two bad experiences can knock someone back in their development quite a bit and then they have to build the confidence up again. So I would really recommend that you try to do that. And I want to talk to you a little bit about mentorship and career guidance. Those are essential aspects of professional growth. And I certainly want to hear from you a little bit about how that's impacted you in your career. And what I also want to end up with here is I talk to a lot of project managers today. We do a lot of project management training and learning and development for organizations. And I always interview their project managers. And they always tell me that the mentors is what helped them to be great project managers in their career. So any advice that you have around this as well for organizations on how to incorporate it into their learning and development programs, I think would be helpful because I think it's necessary, but it's not always easy for a younger engineer to ask for mentoring or for ask to guidance from their organization. So share with us kind of your experiences with mentoring and how you think we can you know, make it more available to younger professionals. It really begins with a pull from the individual engineer to recognize that 
they want and need the mentorship. And that these people that you're given the opportunity to work with are all potential mentors for you. You could learn different things from different people. I had a wonderful group of people that I would now consider my mentors, yet there was no formal mentoring program established when I worked uh, the first job in, in the Middle East. I had folks that I was mentored over breakfast on a Friday morning, which was their Sabbath out in the Middle East. Interestingly enough, they were a British fellow that worked for me that was a project director on our project. But I would go over and join he and his wife for breakfast, and I'd bring bacon because I had a bacon pass in Saudi Arabia. It's not something that is uh, everybody gets out there, but I was blessed with getting one of those. So I'd go over and I'd cook breakfast with him, and I learned from his experiences. And, you know, I didn't ask direct questions about what I should do. I just let him share his experiences in situations. And I developed that trust, and we developed a trust back and forth. That helped. I had two people that I worked for out there as managers who were exceptional. They were looking out for my success. And when I say that, they were willing to give me some direct, hard criticisms when I needed it. To, you know, I can remember one day being told, hey, your job is to get the job done, not to break the contractors on this job. So, Let's figure out how we're going to get them to do what you want them to do because they want to do it, not just because you tell them to do it. And, and it was just some little sound advice like that. And then you try that and go, well, that worked pretty well. They, they're pretty sharp. And then that opens up more channels to share things you're going through and, and open up with the challenges you're facing and not to be afraid that you're not going to them for every little thing, but you're willing to share where you're confused or you need help. And I think that's incredibly important for young people today. The challenges come across a lot of different ways, and you take those inputs. You're still responsible for your decisions after you get that input. But it's nice to get that and to triangulate, to get it from two or three people that you bounce an idea off of. I found that incredibly useful because sometimes the answer is in between what individuals tell you. Before we go on here, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI provides expert prep courses and study resources designed to help you pass the FE and PE exams the first time. PPI's live online courses include hours of lectures, problem-solving demonstrations, exam strategy sessions, office hours, and a passing guarantee. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. Jim, what I've found in working with a lot of engineers over the years is that what great engineers do is they're able to have a really good background of technical expertise, but then they're able to develop their soft skills, their leadership skills, and they're able to balance the two. Talk a little bit about your experience in doing that yourself and trying to balance your technical background. Obviously, someone who's done a lot of research, you've been in education, but then also building up your leadership skills and trying to balance those two. Talk about that from your experience. My experience has been primarily that I use situations to learn a lot about leadership. So I try to look at a situation and understand what would be the actions possible actions that you might take that would work here? And what have I seen other people do that have been train wrecks? And what have I seen other people do that that worked out pretty well? So I try to build those observations and experience from that. And that's why I listen to stories 
that mentors tell me because you can learn a lot without having to experience it for yourself firsthand and, and kind of get at through a lot of questions what's going on there. On the technical side, I think, you know, that lends itself to being curious. And I really believe that that's probably one of the most important traits of all engineers is to have a curiosity and asking that question, why or why not, in some cases as well, do certain things work? And then to try to get out the people that have that deepest technical knowledge in that area and understand it. And I tell you, to this day, I'm still building my technical expertise. It just has moved in different areas. It's moved into AI, maybe and machine learning into some newer areas. But you have to just keep learning the technical to keep up with it, as well as kind of understanding the latest research in one area or another that's going on. And so I read a lot. I mean, that's my curiosity drives me. And sometimes I read it and I go, interesting. I don't know how I'd use that, but you never know. You never know when that's going to pop back in or, or something would come in with that. So I think keeping a balance between the two is very important. Keeping involved technically is important, even though you're a manager, asking the questions and letting other people teach you continually where they have technical depth is important. And you learn how to ask those questions in a way that it's not yes or no, or what do you recommend, but why. The why behind it is where you learn a lot more. And of course, you can continue to ask that chain of whys to dig deeper if you'd like to. It's refreshing to hear Jim say that he's still developing his technical expertise because those of you that might be listening on the audio only version, I'll let you know that Jim's not a recent graduate. He's been doing this for a little while and the fact that he's still developing, it, you know, really speaks to what we believe at EMI, which is continuous development from the day you start your career to the day you decide to maybe hang up, retire, and you want to keep developing, and then you'll probably start developing other skills. So it's definitely a great life lesson to continue to do that. Developing these leadership qualities, Jim, they involve traits like relationship building, gratitude, professionalism, curiosity, and again, continuous learning. So just talk a little bit about how the leadership qualities have really played a role for you in, in your career advancement and your ability to lead teams effectively in some of the roles that you've taken. The relationships is the hinge point in this that keeps everything tied together. And it's really important to be able to build and establish those relationships and to keep them because that allows you continual access to new things that are going on or to go back to people, relive some experiences and get different perspectives on it. So the, the relationship is by far the most important. I mentioned curiosity before, and I mean, that drives everything. That's kind of the uh, secret sauce in all of this is to have that wired in that you're curious about things. I would also say that in strengthening relationships, gratitude is extremely important. I really believe in that. And I believe in writing thank you notes, handwritten thank you notes, not emails. Handwritten thank yous are fine to throw in an email. That's a minimum, but the power of the handwritten thank you note goes a long way to establishing long-term relationships. That says, I want to correspond. I want to recognize what you did for me. Here is what it was. And here is how I believe it helped me. And again, I want to thank you for that. And that builds an avenue or a channel to go back. That strengthens the relationship in some way, even if you don't always agree with that person or you find yourself at loggerheads for a technical matter or a management decision or something later, you kind of get over that hump if you've built that relationship with it. So gratitude is extremely important. 
I encourage all of the young folks that I know, I mentor a lot of folks in our university programs around the country, students, and I give them all a set of 10 thank you cards. And I go, when you go out in the summer and you're working at an internship, when you get back, get an address. You know, it's okay. Send a thank you note to a craftsman that you worked with who taught you something about how they build the work. You want to, you never know how that person is going to be important to you in the future to go back and ask a question of, or they may end up being a key person that is one of the supervisors working for you in the future in the field. And you just never know that. And don't worry about it. You don't have to get anything back from that. Take the time to thank them. It means a lot to them that they know that they shared because that means they're going to be willing to share with others going forward as well. So this gratitude is one of those pay it forward things that is so important, I think, uh, out there. It is powerful. And I try to do some thank you notes myself. I do do them from time to time. And I'll tell you a quick story. And I have a daughter who is in high school now, but a couple of years ago during COVID, you know, all the kids were home, they were doing their school remote. And one of their assignments was to write a thank you note to one of their teachers, thanking them for, you know, teaching them remotely and keeping up with the curriculum. So my daughter wrote the note to one of her teachers and she recently read me the response from that teacher, which basically was one of the teachers saying, you know, I was really questioning whether or not I wanted to continue to teach with everything going on remotely. It's been very stressful. But when I got your thank you note, it made me realize that I'm, I'm in the right place at the right time. And this is ultimately what I want to be doing. So, you know, you don't realize that a quick 10 minute note to someone can have a big impact on their end, but it will help you build relationships, which I agree with Jim is, is the real key to success. And one of the other things that I just want to hit on here, reinforce from what Jim said today about looking at the experiences that you've had or things that other people have done around you and kind of noticing, you know, what's quote unquote good and what's bad and learning from those experiences. I've read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie about a million times. And a couple of things that Jim said today, like helping people to do something because they want to do it, not because you want them to do it. It really remind me of, of the book. It's a great book. But one of the other things that I remember from the book that sparked a memory for me was, I think he might've been talking about FDR where he said he had a journal and every night he would write down everything he did that was good and everything that he did that was bad. And then the next day he would try to do more of the good stuff and less of the bad stuff. And so- Keeping an eye on what you're doing day to day and what the people around you are doing is really an unbelievable lesson in life, in your career, because that's your information that you could take and build on, right? If you get bad results, you do something different. If you get good results, you do it again, maybe even do it better. So there's lots of stuff that we covered here with Jim. And what I want to do is we're not quite done with Jim yet. We are going to now put him on our civil engineering hot seat in just a few minutes and ask him a couple of last career related questions. So we'll come back in just a minute and we'll do that. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, I'm back with Jim Rowings. Jim is a VP at Kiwit for technical development. He's also the chief learning officer. We've talked a lot about confidence building, leadership in the design and construction field. And now, Jim, it's time for the Civil Engineering Hot Seat. You ready? Yes, let's go. So, Jim, do you have any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, do you have a specific morning routine or a lunchtime routine or just something that you've done consistently on a daily basis that has contributed to your success? I, yeah, these are sound rather trite, but I always start with a cup of coffee and review my calendar for the day and the rest of the week and even looking into the next week because you have to you look ahead that way. And I found that just keeps me focused as to priorities in there. I'm a list person and I'm one of those that 
I get some kind of a thing happening in my brain when I can check off things on my list. So I use that. You have some things that are small and some things that are bigger. Everything on my list has a due date by it. So I put things on my list and it might not be till Friday or Saturday mornings. I still use Saturday mornings to clean up things for the week and or things that I need to look ahead to the next week. So those lists are very important. I clean out my emails every day and I align or or change deadlines if I need to to move things up or move things back. I always question if I'm moving things back further because that means that I'm recognizing that I'm overcommitted maybe or something to a, a particular day. So I keep some open space in my calendar every day because there are things that come along that you have to do that other people are expecting a response from you on. And I want to make sure I do that. I really, I learned this when I worked out in industry. Uh, this fellow I worked for, the Estes Corporation, and when I did my sabbatical, he had a thing called Estes Etiquette. And that was you respond to a client within 24 hours, even as to say, I heard your question. I'll have to get back to you on that. And I try to do that is to move things off the list, partly that way if I got a delay or I have to do some research to get it done. But if I can do it in a matter of five minutes or less, get it done and don't go back and pick it up again. Same with mail that comes in. Just go through mail and sort it into, I can take care of this. I can put my address on this and get it out. Those kind of things. I mean, those are really functional things, but they're a discipline that you have. And try to keep some lunchtime open so that you are able to make that for yourself and a little thinking in there. So that's the rituals I have. Thinking back on your career, is there one book or an author or a leadership philosophy that you really have grabbed onto that you've really liked and that you've kind of used throughout your career? I know we read a lot of books over our lifetimes, but is there something that stuck with you over the years? The first book that I would say really stuck was a book that was given to me in a class at when I was back at Purdue as an undergraduate. And I got into a graduate class as an undergraduate. And they actually, this guy had executives in the classroom. So he had a guy come in, W. Clement Stone, and he wrote the book, Success Through a Positive Mental Attitude. He gave us all a copy of it. And I took that, I read it, and I took it overseas to Saudi with me. And I would reread it from time to time. And finally, I got to a point where I realized I should be sharing that with other people. But I think more than anything else, that book has affected me is to stay positive, to look for the positives in everything. And that positive mental attitude fuels an infectious attitude on jobs as well. And so can-do attitudes, if you will. The ability to recognize that there are good things and bad things that happen as well that you have to take away from it. I just think that's one book that is kind of an easy read and kind of what I call the airplane book that you can grab and it's still out there. You can read it, leave it on the plane if you want to for somebody else to enjoy or get something out of it as well. But Or you can give it to somebody that's starting to become a little negative and say, hey, read this and see if that helps any. It's a subtle way to kind of keep passing along that positive attitude. That's one that, that goes all the way back in there. Along the way, I read a lot of books and I read and a lot of articles as well, Harvard Business Review, Wall Street Journal, all of those things as well. So there's a lot of things out there. You know, the current things on the modern trends. Last year, I led a book club for some students on a book by Scott Galloway that was American, 100 Pictures. 
phenomenal discussion book. It's different than anything else because it's just a bunch of charts and pictures about what's going on, but it gets you into thinking about real data, the trends that are going on, and it's very provocative and you can have great discussions and nobody's right or wrong in the discussions. They're how they perceive the real data. And I think that's good to getting a balanced perspective. So that's the most probably the most recent impactful book that I've run across. I'm looking for one right now for a book club for this year, same way as one of the, a book that just isn't a slam dunk. And of course, there's all kinds of other things you learn. You learn from reading classics as well. So there's things along the way there. Jim, you've had some managers along the way for sure in your career, and I'm not asking you to name names, but if you think back on some of your favorite managers, what were the characteristics that made them your favorite? We're trying to understand what makes for great managers in construction and engineering. So what stands out from you from some of your favorite managers along the way and what they did? Early in my career, it was knowing that the managers were looking out for my best interests, knowing that I had to be responsible for it, but I understood that they were there to support. So they asked a lot of questions. They wanted to understand well, how did you make that decision? Why did you make? And they were kind of coaching. And, and so they were mentors, if you will, as well as managers. Plus, they were good examples. They kept the lists. They had habits. They ran meetings. Well, all of those things that you learn. So early on in a career, it's important that you work for good managers, or at least you see good managers, even if you're not working for one, and you know what the one you're working for isn't doing as well. And you're going to go through a lot of managers in your career. Then recognize there are a lot of different ways to manage. And I went through a series, and I had some folks that were very nice to me, but they didn't necessarily establish clear expectations and goals. And then you'd find out that you weren't quite hitting the mark after you didn't hit the mark, rather than, oh, yeah, that was what we talked about as an expectation. So you're kind of surprised. That's not good. So you get some bad managers that way too, or you see behaviors that aren't as good as others. And you got to recognize that is what they are. And so you can learn from observing bad behaviors and how it doesn't always work well over a longer term in there as well. Then I had, I'll say this, I'm going to call it, he's currently our CEO. I worked for him. I had an opportunity to work for him as we both moved out to Boston with one of Kiewit's divisions. And he was an exceptional one. He found the time to ask what was important I was working on. Did I need any help? with anything, but yet he wasn't hovering over. He wasn't a micromanager, but he understood. His favorite line, sometimes when I did something that he thought was crazy, he would go, you are going to get me fired. It wasn't, I'm going to get fired. He was personalizing it to, he was there and he was going to be responsible for what I did. He built a great relationship. He's a great team builder. And obviously that's why he has been so successful as moved up the ladder with Kiwip. But he's exceptional that way and continues to be very direct. And I think that's an important part of it is that keep focused on the goals of the organization and all of those things. And I see that and I go, well, how did he get there? And you see, I actually interviewed him one time to find out all the managers he'd worked for and how he learned to do what he does the way he does. And it's a fascinating array of personal things that he did. I mean, right back to you know, high school sports and things like that, other things that he's been involved with in activities that he's learned these behaviors, I'll call them, from that. Of course, you want to emulate those behaviors when you see they're very successful. 
All right. I got one last question for you here, Jim. We call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question. If you got into an elevator with an up and coming civil engineering professional, you only had about 30 seconds with him or her. What career advice would you give to them in that short period of time? Your career is shorter than you think it is. As a civil engineer, it may only be 45 or 50 years, and that's not very long in increment of time, but that gives you a lot of opportunities and chances to try things to have an impact. And that's what you want to focus on is having an impact. Your salary, your promotions, all of that will come along if you just focus on having an impact at the job you currently have and making the most of that and learning as much as you can to do the next job that you might want to do. But again, keep focused on doing the job that you currently have and have an impact. You have a tremendous opportunity to make a difference in our society in the future as a civil engineer. Don't miss that opportunity because you don't know something, you haven't prepared yourself technically and managerially. Take on those challenges. Jim Rowings, VP Kiewit, I want to thank you so much for giving us some great advice here and for spending some time with us on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you so much, Jim. Thank you, Anthony. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jim. I always love talking to someone who has so much experience, so many years of experience, so many different projects and people that they've interacted with. And really for him to take the time and share it with us is invaluable in my opinion. And I hope that you can leverage some of this in your career. Please remember you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. And until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely and how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.